Hey, on this belated episode of Breaking the Panel, we've got Deadpool breaking things. Of course he does. We've got petitions. We've got Canadian crap and DC Comics. All this stuff coming up and more right now. The comic book now owns pop culture, and that's a worldwide phenomenon. Film, television, literature, even music. These days, it's all about the comics. I am Arrow. I'm Batman. Supergirl? What does S.H.I.E.L.D. stand for, Agent Ward? I am Iron Man. And I am Spider-Man. Oh, smash. We're living the comics life. We're breaking the panel. Hey, I am the Rock Auto Podcasting. Charles McFall coming to you today with a very late breaking the panel. I let things get away from me. I'm going to take responsibility for that. But it is a nice, sunny afternoon. We've got Paul Klotz riding the microphone. Carl! Carl! <laughs> the way you said your name, man. I was like, is Rick Grimes here? I'm not Carl. I'm Charles. Charles. Carl. Charles! Charles! Uh, <laughs> God, I love those memes with him and the kid, and, and everything is like, <laughs> you're one step away from being Batman, Carl. Batman. <laughs> All right, and along with this, spurning it on, because honestly, I, I totally lost track of everything, and thanks to Chris Wisdom for going, hey, we didn't record an episode this week. Chris is on the line, too. I'm here. You know what? If you want a more excited Chris, go to patreon.com forward slash breaking the panel and just get involved there. Let's build the community. Let's get things going, and it'll be awesome sauce. So we're going to do sauce. Awesome sauce. No, you said sauce. Look, getting a job has made you ornery. Go back and sit (laughs) on your box. (laughs) (laughs) So we are about to do uh, this weekend a big spoilerific Deadpool show so we're going to save all the opinions all the the ins and outs of the movie for that however i really thought it was worth our time to talk about the box office records that it's breaking and this article i have i'm definitely not going to go through all of them because they just really some of it's a stretch i mean they really go down this the 15th best and the 17th best all right what are you doing did you have a word count you had to fill in there because now you're just going too much but Deadpool did break a lot of records, including spanking Star Wars more than once on this thing. And the one that's not in this article, I'm going to go ahead and tell you about. I did read a legitimate article. I just don't have it in front of me right now. Is in Russia, the opening weekend for Russia, Star Wars Episode Seven made like 12.1 million uh, U.S. Right. The opening weekend for Deadpool in Russia, 13 million U.S. So suck it, BB-8. Just say. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Colossus bump. <laughs> just, just, in, that's in dirty. communist Russia. Deadpool, watch you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That'd be hilarious. They just, they just hire uh, doubles to dress up as Deadpool and sit at the front of the theater watching people watch the movie. <laughs> just, I don't know if the Russians would get it because that's a very American joke. That came from what, Yakov Smirnov in the 80s, I think. Yep. Uh, so. Here's here's the rundown. It's bre- Deadpool's broken all kind of records as we knew it would. Biggest R-rated opening weekend with 132.7 million over its Friday to Sunday frame. It crushed the prior R-rated opening weekend record set in 2003, The Matrix Reloaded. So Matrix Reloaded made 91 million, uh, which translates. I hate. I know you kind of have to do this when you're talking to nerds about numbers, but I I don't care about inflation. I mean just one to one, you know, that's kind of how it works. I'm sorry. 
But ninety-one million is what they want, which is one hundred thirty million adjusted for inflation. But still, they made point seven million more than that, and that's before, or that's after it made uh, forty-two million from a Thursday's opening day. So there's that. Uh, did anybody? Did you guys get to go see it on a Thursday? I didn't. I saw it on Sunday. Oh, yeah, I did. No, mm-hmm. I saw it on Friday. Okay, I saw it on. I saw it on Monday. Uh, perfect crowd for me because it was about half full and everybody was into it yeah i just want to talk about the movie we can't do that however <laughs> uh, i did i do recant you know i talked about my movie theater apparently they changed the software on their website because before it would just be scratched out or say sold out on the time but you'd see all the times available go, oh i missed out this time however what they would do is because you could buy tickets ahead of time for deadpool they really sold the crap out of amc I know it's a big change. Some people turn their nose up at chains, but I love AMC and how they treat me as a customer in, in their theater. And they really pushed buying tickets ahead of time for Deadpool. Big marketing uh, angle there. And I was a little surprised. And then I was complaining about how there's like a 7 o'clock and an 8 o'clock show on Thursday, and that's it. No midnight show, no nothing. It really pissed me off. Turns out their new software on their website, once it sells out, the time just disappears. So it didn't even look like they're running. So it looked like they're running just this weird time, but no, they were just selling shows out, which is better in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. So biggest opening weekend for a first time director. This was Tim Miller's first feature film, and as I think we all would agree, it absolutely will not be his last. He did a phenomenal job. Yeah. Uh, best Friday to Sunday opening weekend, which we already talked about. It beat. Walt Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, which had 114 million, and in 2007, biggest 20th Century Fox debut ever. You know, nobody complained about the biggest 20th Century Fox flop. We didn't hear about that, but definitely Fox's best opening. This is the second Star Wars spank. So apparently, Fox's Star did Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, which I was not aware that they they did that movie. Uh, but they had 108 million Friday to Sunday on. That. Well, yeah, yeah. The Star Wars movies were Fox until Disney bought Lucasfilm. <clears throat> so that's a, you know, now to think back about it, you always had the dun, da, 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 yeah, you yeah, had the I fanfare, totally and that's yeah, 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 yeah. That was kind of on the Star Wars episode. Yeah, and that yeah, Chris was like, "It's not the same without the fanfare." I remember now. Uh, so it did it it smacked it down. So that's cool. Biggest R-rated Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Biggest R-rated Monday. So, of course, Monday was President's Day, which was a holiday in the U.S. for many people who go to school, uh, colleges, and, of course, working. A lot of a lot of government agencies, especially in some private sector businesses, take Monday off, so more people get to go. 19.5 million on Monday. Which, That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm happy to say that I helped with that number. Uh, My $5 went in. (laughs) I take it back. Monday was when I went. That's right. Okay. The Hangover Part 2 was the closest at 17.4 million. Uh, So there you go. Uh, I want to see if the rest of these biggest February opening weekend, beating Fifty Shades of Grey and American Sniper. (laughs) Uh, Biggest opening weekend for Ryan Reynolds, which is a no-brainer there. I mean, he does good. I, I will go see his films in theater uh but this was his biggest opening weekend biggest r-rated comic book superhero movie ever which i'm like huh i didn't think there were already comic book movies and i stand corrected wanted made 134 million 
And if you don't want to count that because of the no costumes, which is like, all right, yeah, one, okay, Wanted was a comic book. I'll, I will give you that. It's not, it's not necessarily superhero that they kind of had, I don't know, they didn't really have powers. They had, like, really awesome skills. It was weird. To pay the bills? Yeah, there you go. Zack Snyder's Watchmen and New Line Cinema's Blade 1 got beat out by Deadpool. Blade being the closest at $133 million. Uh, Blade got her I mean, uh, Deadpool uh, got one thirty four. Biggest X Men debut ever, which makes sense. I'm not even gonna break those down. Uh, then they get in the second and thirds and this and that and the other. Blah 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 blah. Now here's this thing, you guys, especially Wisdom, is is a bit of a comic book expert. Is I want to read whoa. this one. Whoa! Did I just? Well, I said okay. you guys. Whatever. You guys. No, no, it's cool. You just, you know, you pop on his D, okay? <laughs> it's all right, Jump Paul. You on it. You can sit at the kitty table. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, sorry, Klotz. You can go back to your box now. The wheels on the bus go thump, thump, thump. <laughs> I'm really just saying I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. But it's this, the second biggest R-rated comic book movie. And here's the ones they rate as comic book movies. I didn't understand this. Road to Perdition? That was a yep. comic book? Yep. Really? I want to say that was in the 90s, mid-90s, maybe. And that the Road to Perdition is the uh, the Tom Hanks, Hanks where he's a yep. mafia guy, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I had no idea that was a comic book movie. Neither did I, to be fair. Yeah. See, how's this D looking now? <laughs> <laughs> Kingsman, The Secret Service. I was not aware that was a comic book. What? Yep. We talked about that on the show. I slept since then. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted, of course, I did know. And then 300. I knew Zack Snyder directed 300. I didn't realize he had done a graphic novel before that. Oh, oh see, now you need to go back and, yeah, you need to read that. Because then what, you, won't, you won't be able to watch that movie the same way again. Because you're going to see exactly, like, stills in that movie that were pulled directly out of that comic. Oh, nice. Out of that graphic. Beautiful. Nice. He matched it. Pitch and tone perfect. Now, here's the thing. Road to Perdition is, and these are total numbers, right? Not opening numbers. These are total numbers for the movie. 102 million. Kingsman got 128 million. Wanted got 134 million, which Deadpool's already at the 134 million uh, for Monday through Sunday instantly. Mm -hmm. Th uh, Zack Snyder's 300 made 210 million gross, and it's the only one leading it, which will probably be destroyed this weekend. You know, yeah. Coming up. So here. McFall, yeah. Three hundred. How did you not know that was a graphic novel? <laughs> Silence. I it, <laughs> like, why? Why would you? That was such a big deal at the time, though, because it was three hundred came on the heels of Sin City, right? And Sin City being graphic novels as well. See, I didn't know that. You understand? This is the dead space for me, where I was just enjoying movies and TV and not but reading comics at the time. These are you're a big Batman fan. These are Frank Miller titles, man. Come oh, on, dude. Exactly. Berlanti? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I you, you the know, Dark Knight, Frank Miller. You know, do the, I the, ever? Probably, probably the most <laughs> famous of all the Batman writers over the years. The one who has gone down in history and is legendary for taking the dark turn. And exploring the dark CD side of Batman, that guy. So, what you have to understand is my nerd origin story comes from Michael Keaton, nineteen eighty nine Batman, followed by 
Batman the Animated Series. Followed by, you know, the slew of horrible Batman films that they made with Joel Silver and, and all that. It wasn't until later after that I actually started opening books and reading the books and understanding the bigger depth of things. And I have never once pitched a fit when I get called a filthy casual. I'm just saying. <laughs> I understand it's, where I am in this. Um, this. This is actually a good lead into how how we're coming into kind of, and we've been seeing it over the last few years, how it's it's real hard for the industry to support both the hardcore fan and incorporate new fans. And Marvel Marvel's really having issues with it. Mm-hmm. And we see it when they release titles and they, or when they talk about titles they want to release and they're like, how do we get those people that are just the movie fans into comics um, without alienating them? Because when they open the comic, it's completely different than what they saw in the movie. DC sees it to a certain extent. And it's, it's I, I do not envy the balancing game that they have to play. But I don't think that they I don't think the knee jerk reaction needs to be we need to make the comics like the movies. Let let the movies bring them to the Mm -hmm. comics and let them be their own separate thing, because too often that we as comic fans, we have to hear, oh, well, just be quiet. It's the movie. Settle down. Of course, it's not going to be like the comic books. You can't do it like that. Just accept them as two separate universes. But it seems that the the opposite direction can't be held true. So that when movie fans move from movies to comics, if it's not the same, they're upset. And then the industry moves to, to correct it. Well, everybody needs to understand that there's a multiverse and there's a comics reality and there's a movie right. reality. Right. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, you know, you get that with literaturists, right? People who read the book before. That's the not movie. even a word. I know. That's why I'm explaining it, jackass. <laughs> it's because you can't you can't use our show as a platform to coin new words to <laughs> create definitions. No, I totally can. And no. a, a literaturist is someone who reads books. Put that the on Mick my Wikipedia Fallist page. Is someone who bullshits twenty four seven. You know, the audience would have gone along with it if you hadn't have ruined my plans, you damn pesky kids. I think uh, I'll let him have literist as long as if we add the word illiterist and it's just a picture <laughs> next to it. <laughs> oh, see, I read. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the point is, you know, the people who let's use Hunger Games as an example. People you know, read Charles, the Hunger Games and then they see I'm, the movie. Yeah. I'm gonna let you finish, but I'm no, pretty sure right now the only comics you read are the funny pages in the newspaper. Okay? Oh, that just hurts. <laughs> yeah. That just hurts a little bit. I just I've got a whole sermon based on Planet Hulk, man, and how you can change your life. I'm just saying. What? <laughs> I'd love to hear that sermon. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see a, a, a church full of people just like the. F- is this guy talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give that speech one day. It'd be so awesome. And you'll get my you'll get my uh, tithing. <laughs> <laughs> so my point is, there you you've had that world forever. Somebody reads a book and then they make the movie. Oh, the book's better. Like Harry Potter was a huge one. Oh, they left out so much. Oh, I'm sorry. Those books are freaking the five eight hundred pages and we only have two hours of screen time you know they can only spend so many millions of dollars to make this thing they can't you know make a five-hour diatribe to your book just to get every word in i would agree with you except for the fact that peter jackson has proven that you can take a single book stretch it into three films tell peter jackson that yeah Uh, yeah yeah but i'd be be on the same page except you know that yeah so but but to chris's point they do need to be separate 
they do. I agree with you. They need to to have some crossover, but not so much. I mean, when I see okay, if I see Deadpool, I want the comics to be like Deadpool because the movie was awesome. Now, of course, I've read Deadpool. I know the movie was very close and very good, and to the point that I'm recognizing and calling out to my wife different little things that they put in that made it awesome, and and how it works. That's going to be a one-off. If I see uh, Days of Future Past, okay, X-Men Days of Future Past, and I go read X-Men, and I pick up Astonishing X-Men, or I see that there's Uncanny versus Astonishing, and you get all these different X-Men, I get a little overwhelmed. But then I go, okay, this one looks cool, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to go in and want to understand the stories deeper and different because that's just the way it is. And for DC or for Marvel or for anybody to come through and go, well, let's make one based straight off the movie. I think that's a horrible idea. And I got to tell you, even though I'm a filthy casual, I still have a toe into these waters here. And I get offended when you can open up a box of cereal and get a Superman comic. And it's like, no, that's not a, that's, that's not a a Superman comic at all. At all. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be polar opposite of you and, and disagree. But I will to a point because I think, especially the way Marvel is doing their cinematic universe and the the movies are and the TV shows are tied in somewhat to each other. Mm-hmm. I understand that with Battle World, we're trying to fix our continuity, our overall continuity. But give me another reality in comics. So give me my my old Marvel comics that stand side by side with this new this this new movie continuity. This new uh, cinematic continuity comics and expand on those stories that you get in the movies in comic form and then fans of the movies can come to those and they can use that as a jump a jumping off point into the older comic stories mm-hmm. fair enough i don't understand why you can't do an elseworlds with the cinematic universe probably could now one last thing with this talk about blatant uh, product placement i <laughs> at one point i was looking uh, marvel unlimited to find out how the network could get sponsored by them right so we could you give discounts on getting Marvel Unlimited so we could get paid for pimping their product, those kind of things. And what I found was to this, I remember these in the eighties. I remember being a kid and seeing this stuff where like Captain America would be carrying a Jiffy can and be like, Hey kids, eat your Jiffy and blah, blah, blah. It's a one-off comic, right? Mm-hmm. They still do that. They still have that available. If you spend enough money, they will draw a comic with your favorite characters in it to sell your product. And it just, Something curled up and died in me a little bit. Well, no, stop. Mm-hmm. You you don't have to whore yourself out anymore. You're, you're the kings of the golden age now. Please, please turn that off. Hey, some of those Hubba Bubba ads and uh, Hostess Fruit Pies were my favorite comics ever, dude. <laughs> the Hostess Fruit Pies, yes. Please stop. <laughs> you're just mad because you don't know what Hubba Bubba is. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> Superman. I, you know, I have no flipping idea what you're talking about. Oh, uh, <laughs> Well, coming, coming off of the Deadpool, Clotch, you've got this thing about a petition going on. What do you think about that? Yeah, so there's this petition going around on Change.org to have Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool host SNL. And frankly, I think it's an awesome idea. It's a tough idea. I think it'd be fun, but he's such a foul mouth character. It's going to be, it would be interesting to see him be PG-13, but still do the Deadpool antics. Well, they've been getting kind of risque lately, if I'm honest. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, they've really, really been... Oh, yeah. Like, uh, some of the bits they've been doing have been really, f- like, forward for them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I, I think 
I think it's a possibility. You know what I mean? I don't think it's there's anything ruling it out. And they, you know, the thing is, Deadpool is foul mouthed, right? Mm-hmm. But he can be written in such a way where you don't have to be. Yeah, you could do puns and all this other stuff. Like, there's a number of ways to make it work. Um, and I, I have confidence that if they had prep time for it, you know, a couple weeks, yes. you know, because I don't think it's, I don't think this would be the kind of show that you would want to like, because SNL's normal spiel is that they have a week to prep right right they they write they do all the writing and all the presentations and they build everything up in about a week now some of the some of those people work on things long term you know so well it didn't get picked up this week you know so i'm going to rework this and try and present it again in you know a couple weeks or something like that i think they could absolutely do something along those lines where it's like well okay we know we're going to book him a month from now so, you know, our, our veteran writers, you guys get on it. You know what I mean? Start coming up with material, work with Reynolds team of writers, you know, really like do something interesting here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think you could do something cool with it, but, uh, yeah, it would take, uh, it would take some pre-planning and some preparation. Well, that brought you sweaty balls, jizz in my pants, and I just had sex to dick in my box. Right. I have faith Saturday night live could pull this off without a hitch. I just want to see character acting by Deadpool. I want to see him dressed as Donald Trump with a wig but <laughs> in that the, red and black the, the, mask. Yep. That would be fun. I'm not going to lie. That would and, be a lot. and to be honest, it might be one of the most recent highest rated shows that Saturday Live has had in a long time. Well, that's mm. the thing too, like because you know, SNL's not where it once was. No. So it doesn't have the audience that it used to have per se. I know it still has an audience and it it's gotten better in the last couple of years. I will say that because I've been somebody who, even if I'm not watching it week to week, I generally catch up on a season at some point. Okay. And it was rough. Like two, three years ago, it was pretty bad. Like you had Kristen Wiig before she left and she was pretty solid. Like any skit that she was really, you know, the big focus on was mm-hmm. was decent for the most part, but like there were some that were just really bad, like the Californians, like, Oh yes, whole, I saw that as horrible. That skit only makes sense to people who are from California. Like I understand what they're referencing, but it was so boring and not funny beyond the first like spiel, you know, like the first, uh, we're going to talk about all the directions in LA because everybody talks about driving everywhere in LA. Like, I don't yeah. care. Like, I get it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, like, they've had some rough stuff. But, like, the last couple of years, they've had actually some pretty decent stuff. It really depends who the host is. So that's why I think, like, this is a really good idea because it, it, you could really predicate a lot of the success on the fact that it's Deadpool and you could really play it up. Um, and could you imagine, like, you could do all kinds of crazy stuff like have them play other Marvel characters or whatever. They could take cheap shots at DC and have them, like, mm-hmm. dressed up as Batman you know, or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah, there's lots of stuff they could do, you know, and it would be great. The only problem I see is that what we're asking for here is like, ultimately, like, I'm not sure if DC or I'm sorry, not DC, uh, Disney has to authorize mm. Reynolds appearing as Deadpool because it's not part of the normal TV or, you know, television right. and uh, movie deal. And if that's the case, they're probably going to say hell no. You know, because they don't really. Would it I'm maybe, sure. Would it maybe fall under marketing? Because mm-hmm. they did fall under that deal automatically. Because he did a lot of stuff marketing wise. But you the, know, I've the, noticed since then he he appears as Ryan Reynolds and not as Deadpool. And it's a skit about James Corden trying to be his his sidekick. But the whole time he's Ryan Reynolds. He's not dressed up as Deadpool. He's himself who had played Deadpool and was responding. 
Maybe I don't know. It'd be interesting. Yeah, your point is interesting. I mean, because that well, that's yeah, that's one of the little nuanced things where I'm like, I don't think it's as cut and dry as like Fox saying, "Yeah, this is cool," yeah. because I, I really think like when you're outside of the normal realm of things, when he's appearing as a character, that might be the problem. So that might be the biggest thing that gets in the way of it. But then again, that doesn't mean that like let's say Disney has final call on something like that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they can't turn to Fox and say, "We do straight up like." profit sharing here you know what i mean it like we we book this as advertising through right. snl as an ad spot basically and uh you know we got to work something out here you know what i mean yep so i don't know that's a, i mean yeah it's it's also pro- probably a lot more likely to happen with deadpool too you know what i mean as something in the future not something right now you know what i mean yeah because the movie's already come out. The movie's already been successful. Like, I th- I think a, a huge portion of the people who are interested in seeing this film have seen it in the last week, you know? So him appearing on SNL isn't going to pimp the film. A lot of the other people who appear on SNL, they're there to pimp their projects, you know what I mean? True. And they show up the week before it comes out or the week that it comes out kind of thing. So, yeah, that's another thing, too, is I think the ship might have sailed for this, this little rendezvous. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. It's a cool idea. I would love to see an HBO original series, Deadpool, you know, in conjunction with Fox. But I'd watch the crap out of that series. That's extraordinarily <laughs> unlikely to happen. Yeah, I know. Because of the parent companies involved. Yeah, HBO's yeah. a Time Warner property, if people didn't know. And they're not going to work with Fox. I'm pretty sure. Because so. NBC's also Time Warner and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it just... It, no. But, 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 to be NBC's, fair... Uh, Universal, NBC Universal. Comcast, you're right. It's not Time Warner's Comcast. Uh, but to be fair, five years ago, we would have thought we'd seen the movie that we saw this weekend. Mm-hmm. The world's changing. It's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll see what happens. So what's this about Stan Lee in Canada? I'm like, why, why do we care? It's America's uh, This is just a little interesting tidbit. There's not really a lot to talk about here. But uh, Stan Lee has officially announced that his uh, upcoming upcoming appearance at Fan Expo Canada uh, Canada <laughs> Cannabis. Fan Expo Canada in September that's where the B came from uh will mark his final appearance in that country uh he goes it's so pleasant to go somewhere where people like you and want to hear what you have to say it's very flattering but I'm 93 years old I don't n- know how much longer I'll be able to do it I want to make this one big event some people have said it doesn't look like he's slowing down. He replied, well, I can't run the marathon and win the way I used to. Uh, he made his final convention appearance in Europe in 2012. or t- I'm sorry, 2014. So, yeah, basically, um, what I, I brought this one to the table because I really wanted to talk about the fact that Stan Lee being the living legend that I think we can all thank for the reality that we live in today. You know, this show and this network wouldn't exist without the efforts that he made. You know, over the last, yeah. you know, 50, 60 years in particular. And though he's not directly involved in a lot of what goes on at Marvel anymore, he's still, you know, such a an anchor point for everybody in the community. The reality is we're not going to have him much longer. You know what I mean? He's he's not going to be with us forever. I mean, I'm amazed he made it to 93. Like, that's, that's awesome, you know? Yeah. If you see him booked someplace and you're really interested in meeting him, I would su- highly suggest you go mobilize and get your ass there to see him because like, who knows? You know, he, when he's cut off Europe and now he's cutting off Canada, Canada's relatively close to home. So I think we might be seeing a near end to his uh, convention appearances. So, yeah, if you're interested in meeting him, 
highly suggest you get out there and, and say hello to him. So pull yeah. a Sheldon Cooper and find his address. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I said, you just got to pull a Sheldon Cooper and find his address. Right. Um, is also, we're probably getting pretty close to the end of his uh, cameos and films too. I can't imagine he's going to do many more. That's going to be a sad day. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I've well, also seen, seen some discussion about the fact that maybe it's time to kill that anyways, just because it's getting a little overplayed, but I don't think so. No, I agree. I, I think it's great. Like I, I just, even though he's only like in a scene for a second, I always crack up, you know? Yeah. And I think yep. in all honesty, he will continue on being in scenes even long after he's gone by, by subtle little things, you know, pictures or figurines, mm -hmm. those kind of things yeah. like uh, uh big hero six. He actually makes a double cameo appearance in that, that little movie. And it was, uh, he first is in a painting as the father of one of the, the characters. And then at the very end, the stinger, I think it's in the stinger. See that the very end of the movie or in the stinger of the movie, he, he voices the father uh, talking to, uh, the kid and talking about being a hero um it's it's it was cool to see that knowing that big hero six was a comic property from marvel that he still made an appearance there so there's definitely ways to, to have it done well the popular sure. speculation is that that uh, stan lee is the watcher <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's probably true that's probably true all right we've got now to our dc person because nobody else cares, <laughs> just Chris. Uh, DC Comics, man, reveals Rebirth plans, relaunch coming this summer. All right, so this is super exciting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I am a longtime DC fan, and I tell you, one of the things as a longtime DC fan that really rubbed me raw was the whole Rebirth issue. Now, it sounds like we're not going to get a, a complete fix to it, but it sounds like they're going to start moving in some directions that will address the main the main issues. So beginning, beginning uh, says after weeks of rumors, DC Comics finally revealed the plans for Rebirth, a line-wide event that will restart a majority of the company's titles from issue one for the first time since the New 52 began in 2011. Now, two of those titles will not be restarting from number one, Action Comics, which will be reverting back to pre-Flashpoint numbering, so it'll go back to Action Comics 957 and De Detective Comics number 934, which those titles had run in, con in continuous print for, since the since the 30s, so it's it's good to get back to those. Those were that was one of those hallmarks of Flashpoint that that really rubbed a lot of people raw. Is those two titles were the longest running titles in all of comics, and you just started them over for no reason whatsoever. Um, now, along with that, there's several different uh, new storylines that are going to be coming out. There's a whole list of uh, titles, and of course, we'll have the show. We'll have the links in the show notes. So I don't want to read all of the titles, but some of the more interesting ones. We see uh, Green Lanterns rebirth, uh, lanterns plural. So we wonder if we're going to stop taking stop taking focus on Hal Jordan and maybe go to the core, uh, the Green Lantern core. Um, you also see Superman, um, one word number one, and there's also Super Hyphen Man number one. Speculation on that is that it's possibly Lex Luthor giving himself Superman type powers. There's going to be an Earth Two reboot, um, Super Sons which we don't know what that is. Superwoman, we don't know what that is. Um, Gotham Academy, next semester. There's all of these titles out here that, uh, that bode well and have interesting uh, applications if done right. Now, uh, one of the things that I found most interesting on this article, it says, under the D DC Comics Rebirth Initiative, the number of monthly titles published by DC will drop 
to 32, but 17 of those titles will be published bi-monthly, meaning twice a month. Now, it doesn't matter if you put something in parentheses. It doesn't make it right. Bi-monthly means every two months, so we'll just call it bi-monthly. <laughs> the, um, the price of each comic will once again be $2.99 across the line, but fans who follow their favorite titles will ultimately find themselves spending more money per month. Now, what I wonder is if they're doing this, if they're going to double the number of titles, or you're essentially doubling the number of issues that are coming out, are we going to get away from that premium format that DC Comics was one of the fir first to move to and go back to newsprint to lower the cost because you've got a drop in you have a drop in price point and you're doubling the number of times you put it out in a month. So. Well, okay. So one of my friends on Facebook uh, from my gaming circles is he's a writer for a comic site out there, and he commented that after this announcement today, he's about at it. Uh, and I'm being blunt about that. Um, his issue is he doesn't he's very hesitant about this. Uh, two two issues per month thing because he really feels like it's going to be the content of a single issue spread out over two issues oh that would be bad which is essentially just doubling the cost rather than reducing it because their big thing here is that well we're reducing back to 299 it's like well but you're putting out two bucks a month for these main titles like if you're splitting the content that you would put in a single issue before over two issues that's pretty crummy and if you're if you're like only like, OK, let's say you're not splitting the exact amount of content over two issues, you're like adding a few pages and then splitting it over two issues. That's still not much better because you're still just upcharging for a slight increase in content. Um, if they're going to put out two books that are the same length as the original, you know, the original size format, then you're talking about some serious value. And that's that could generate a ton of business for them, which is good. And it could also really be a huge boon for fans because then they get their fix a lot more often. So go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to completely derail no, you there. No, no, no. Oh, you're fine. I'd hit, I was getting ready to ask what your guys' input was on all this, being that you're not DC fans. But if you guys were excited about the prospect of having more issues in a month, because I, I do understand that side of it. But coming from moving through the 80s into the 90s and then late 90s, early 2000s, when we start hitting those premium formats and Marvel and it, you, you saw books jump a dollar, boom, at a time up in yep. price. And you're like, I'm not, I'm not getting more pages. I'm just getting better pages. And me personally, I will sacrifice the pages and go back to newsprint. I'm, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, I, but I, I do understand the, the content argument and nobody wants to see half a book twice a month for the same price point, even if you're dropping at a dollar, but it, it, it does bode well to see the, the price drop because that's, that's what a lot of people are going to see anyway, is they're going to see it on a newsstand as they come into a comic book store for the first time or the second time they're going to see, Oh, why are these books two ninety nine and these guys are three ninety nine, four ninety nine, and up. Well, I'm going to try here first. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's good. That's a good point because that's going to be really important for pulling in new kids you know what I mean? Like the, the younger generation, uh, it's going to be important for pulling in people casually uh, that, you know, price points, a big factor. And when the, the cost of producing these books goes up, you know, and and readership dies. I mean, let's be honest, how many people are actually still investing in physical media? Um, that's a big thing. Yeah, that, that could potentially put your titles in the hands of more people, which is great. My big my big feedback from this whole thing is I think there are two major things that need to happen here. I think this rebirth needs to be the last reboot for a good long time. 
Like, I mean, like we're talking 10 years, mm-hmm, like you, mm-hmm. you need to be committed to putting out the best quality books you can for the next decade, at least. And align your stories to head in those directions. That is what has made Marvel the powerhouse that it is today is that they unified their house essentially and they really planned things out. Now they let writers have their their free reign and they let writers do things, but like ultimately there's somebody at Marvel who's sitting there looking at the overarching concepts and saying, we're gonna tie these things together, we're gonna sync up. And we're going to make sure that, you know, the guy who's writing X-Force this month isn't killing off a character that's going to have huge ramifications over here and such. And I'm not saying that DC doesn't do stuff like that, but I I flipped through some DC stuff from, you know, from time to time. And it seems like it's chaotic and it's all over the place. And a lot of times it feels like whoever's writing these books doesn't understand the core of what draws people to these books, particularly like the Superman change. You know, that split the community on that. You know, like some people were like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, it's cool to go in a new direction with this. And a lot of other people are like, you've ruined my favorite superhero and I hate you. And please but die. You see, that, you see that even with the Man of Steel. I mean, you've got. Yeah. You're, you're always going to have those 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 two factions and you can't. It's like I said earlier, you cannot please. You just can't please them. So you, yeah. you have to do what you can to meet in the middle. But. You know, when you when you talk about first of all, all comic, all, all both companies, and well, image to all the companies have yearly retreats with their writers, where they get together at the beginning of the year, say, okay, here's the focus for the year, here's how it's going to fit into current continuity, and this is the direction the ships are sailing for the future. All right, mm-hmm. they they both do it, and they're both guilty of the same sins. And I I think that DC showed how profitable these cross company crossover these full uh, company-wide crossovers can be and marvel is ever not not the reboots but marvel is every bit as guilty as doing the the company-wide crossovers as dc is like i'm mm-hmm. on crossover i i'm i'm done with crossovers honestly between every year you've got something from dc and from marvel you can't keep up there's no way that a person can afford to buy all the books it takes to mm-hmm. stay current in these crossovers let alone stay current for the year on the books right and I really uh, think that that too many crossover events derails the the quality of the uh, content for an individual book as well, because absolutely. you 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 tie them up in these events, and then it's like, well, the you know, like for let's just take somebody generic like Batman, you know, Batman's mm-hmm. doing this in his book, and we're, we hit this point, and then we do this major crossover event, and now we tie him up for X number of months where we can't progress his story anymore because he's such a pivotal character in the setting. You know, that you can't just like continue to do Batman stuff. You know, you have to do Justice League stuff or whatever, you know, and I'm just I'm grasping at like basic concept here because I don't know where they're at right now. Um, No, no, you're absolutely right. You see that with just when you when you have too many titles, when on the Marvel mm -hmm. side, Wolverine is in seven different titles and Batman's in eight different titles on his Superman's in eight. You're like. Are you guys doing any good for your world? Because you seem to be fighting a lot of supervillains every every week. You guys don't (laughs) get a day off you're not very good at your job right yeah no i totally totally agree with that because that's the that is the thing right you know it's like are you being truly effective here because i'm not seeing it you know you're not you're not we're not getting anywhere you're not you know you're not solving any of these problems and i think that's maybe one of the things about comics that is kind of an issue sometimes you know is like these are supposed to be like demigods essentially right i mean superman Mm -hmm. can literally do almost anything for example, yep. and Batman is the most intelligent guy in the world or close to, you know, he's he should be able to solve any number of these problems. And 
we're just we keep rehashing the same old stuff over and over again. It's like, well, why aren't these problems getting solved? I think Marvel kind of transcends that a lot with their the cosmic level content where they're like, okay, well, there's issues that are bigger than just Earth. You know, there are issues that are bigger than just, you know, mutants or or this the Avengers or whatever. Um, even and when I know they D- say that, yeah, go even, ahead. sorry, even mm-hmm. even when they say that, if you look at uh, these big cosmic level events, they're like, but for some reason, Earth is the focal point of all of these problems, and Earth must be destroyed because it is the blah blah blah. And it all they always end up bringing it back to Earth because that's where your heroes are. So you can't mm-hmm. you can't not recognize right. that Earth is is the nexus of whatever right. reality you're in. Well, and, you know, DC has done that, too, with, like, Green Lantern. You know, Green Lantern is your, essentially your cosmic level book, right? It's the one that kind of unifies everything outside of Earth. And then you see, like, insane crossover events like Brightest Day and stuff like that. Like, all the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you see these awesome, you know, events where, like, you get to see Batman and Superman as lanterns and stuff like that. And you're like, this is pretty freaking cool, you know? But it's just, I don't know. It's just, I think they're both screwing up. You know what I mean? Like both, both major companies are screwing up here from time to time. Um, But so I don't really want to belabor this point too much. I think the other big thing here though um, is absolutely that they need to DC being, they needs to adopt the business model that Marvel has and adopt digital delivery. Yes. In a meaningful way. They need to have their own app. They need to have their own service. They need to put their back catalog on it. And they need to either have a subscription model or have a very affordable, you know, and and if anything, they can look at the way Marvel's done theirs and find a way to to beat it somehow. Beat it on price. Beat it on, you know, back catalog availability. Find a way, you know. Honestly, Um, you don't have to beat it. You offered it the same price. I'm paying for both, you know. Yeah. And this is where the filthy well, casual gets to jump in, is I came yeah. from subscription magazine background, right? Where you go to the uh, Game Informer was one of my big magazines. You go to the newsstand, Game Informer is like four ninety nine or five ninety nine on the newsstand, or if you subscribe, it makes it like two dollars a magazine or something like that. You get a discount because you're guaranteeing them money, and they know mm-hmm. exactly how many print plus a few more for the newsstand. Mm-hmm. So it's a win win situation. I went at one point, I got back uh, early 2000s. I was getting back into comics, and a friend of mine had given me a bunch. And I was really into uh, Punisher. Um, uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name who invented I'm Punisher. sorry. Are you sorry? <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm sorry that you yeah. like bad things. I love Punisher. Shut, shut uh, your mouth. <laughs> anyway, so I was, there's a Dark Knight series uh, that I was into. And I was like, all right, I'm going to subscribe. And it turns out comic book subscription, one at that point, is no longer in the mail, which makes sense for collectors. Back in the 90s, you get it mailed to your house, but, you know, the mailman would bend it or all kind of crap, right? Well, subscriptions are only through comic book stores now, for the most part. Uh, and I was like, okay, that's fine. I can find a local store. And it's not a subscription. It's a pull list. So I'm mm-hmm. saving no money. And then the prices. Because, again, I was basing this on 1990 prices a decade later, expecting to pay $1.50, $2 a magazine. And like you guys are saying, $4.99, $5.99. I was like, holy crap, for a paper book that I'm going to enjoy one, two, three times, 
and I know I'm not a collector because collectors can you you find the rare stuff and you put it away, or you collect what you're a fan of. I'm not a collector, so holy, holy shit, too much yeah. money, and there is no way to save a discount. And then another ten years went by, and Marvel Limited comes out, and you know what? I will not buy now. I'll spend a hundred dollars in a shot, and actually you get it cheaper if you buy the whole year. I get it for about seventy bucks, but I'll yep. I'll drop that without batting an eye because. You may take books away from me, and that's fine. I don't know if they have, but I know not everything's there. And I know it could be a limited run, like it's here now, and it might go away later. That's always a possibility because digital, you just flip switches. So they manage their overhead very, very well and create demand. Like Jessica Jones. There's very little of Jessica Jones on there when the, the series came out. So you couldn't catch up super well. But what they had, they packaged right in your face up front going, hey, here's the essential Jessica Jones. You still have control, and if I want to, I will go to Barnes and Nobles or to Amazon.com and buy a collection of Jessica Jones bound in a hardback or a paperback collection, and you'll still get more of my money. Perfect. But when you start talking about what you guys are talking about, premium versus newspaper and two times a month, you DC, you're never going to get my money because you, I, I am the digital guy. I don't need to feel it. I don't give a crap about putting it in my basement. I just want to read it. That's why I like the library. I want to read it, put it back. I'm good. Yeah. Make it easy for me to shut up and take my money. Well, yeah, okay. So I think you've raised a good topic here. We've kind of talked about it a little bit before. I want to jump into it again here because I, I have a lot to say on this topic. Okay. Physical media is the past. Now, there, you know, a number of the things that I care about have transitioned but or in transition from being physical and digital. Like I like to play a lot of card games, you know, Magic the Gathering and a number of others. I'm not going to list them all off. Many of them are available in some digital form. Some, you know, offerings are better than others. Some are available on like free apps and stuff like that that are technically a violation of, you know, everything. But like ultimately the companies just kind of let it go because it, it fosters interest in their brand. There becomes a, a question of, is it worth it for me to invest money in owning a physical product when the digital alternative is just as appealing? And I think a lot of times the answer is just straight up no, because you can only store so much stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you're a comic book collector, most of the reasonable comic book collectors have had to make the decision. You know, I call it the, the great call. What books am I going to subscribe to, you know, have in my pull list? What books are am I am I going to keep after I read? Because you can't keep everything that you if you bought like you know all these titles all the time, you couldn't possibly keep them all. You know it just right. at least not reasonably without being a hoarder. And as somebody who's a gaming hoarder to a certain degree, because I have a lot of stuff from a lot of games <laughs> and I have a lot of boxes filled with stuff. You know, I mean, I have yeah. enough to I could open a store. Like I've I've run a store before. I could open another one. Um, the issue becomes that, like, you know, it's just not reasonable. I used to buy books all the time. Like, I used to go into Barnes & Noble, and I would buy stuff off the bargain shelves. You know, I'd be like, oh, yes. this is a cool cool history book. I'll buy this. And, you know, what I found is that over time, I was reading them a little bit but never finishing them. Uh, I would – or, like, if it was a novel, I would read it once and put it on my shelf. And I'd, be, I'd look at it and be like, damn, I really enjoyed that book, but I'm never going to read it again. Yes, I was the same way. 
Yeah, and comic books aren't that different unless they're digital because I'm much more inclined to go reread, you know, Civil War or Fear Itself because I want to go refresh on it if I have it digitally on my device and I can or on my computer and I can just be like, oh, yeah, let me go pull up this issue and, oh, good to go. With comic books, if I'm buying a comic book, reading it, I'm going to be – and I'm, I intend to keep it. I'm going to be super careful with it, right? I'm going to try not to get any fingerprints or smudges on it and everything. Right. And, and I'm going to flip through it and I can't eat near it and I can't drink near it. And then I'm going to put it in a poly bag and, you know, board and bag. And then I'm going to put it in my box and keep my box in a climate controlled room. So there's no warping or, you know, I'm going to take all these steps to preserve something that is functionally meaningless because frankly, nowadays they print so many of these that they're, they don't mean anything. They, the reason right. old comic books are worth money is because when they were printed back in the day, nobody thought of them as being worth anything until years later when the collection, you know, craze in this country and other countries really caught up and people were like, well, now we covet these old things. Well, old baseball cards are valuable. Old comic books are valuable because there's so few of them left. You know, so many, like you always hear the horror stories of, Oh, my mom, you know, I went off to college and my mom threw out all my comic books. My mom threw out all yes. my baseball cards. My mom threw out all my magic cards. And, you know, that's why old stuff is worth a bunch of money. But with the production cycles for things nowadays to meet the demand that are out in the marketplace, nothing is rare. Even the even the variant covers, like mm -hmm. they jump through these crazy hoops to produce variant covers. and It's too much, too. It's like. Oh, we're going to do variant covers for this run. Uh, there's five different variant covers. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to go hunt down five special covers for this one issue, you know, and then polybag them and, and keep them when I know that you printed X number of thousands of them. And it, it's either too freaking hard to find because the stores are just going to pull those and they're not going to sell them to the general populace. Because right. why would you if it's a yeah. if it's a truly limited run? Why would you shoot yourself in the foot and actually sell it? And you're not going to. If you if it is a, a larger production run of something that's supposed to be relatively rare, you're not going to have any trouble finding it and you're going to realize that it's not worth anything. I mean, that's the whole thing. So I, I think it's time to just the gimmicks have to go away. You have to approach this honestly and say that stuff doesn't work because we're in the digital age. You know, I mean, they used to do it with with CDs, too. Like you get the special alternate cover CD and you got a bonus track and all that stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like that. That means nothing to me now. I own some of those right. CDs and they mean nothing to me now. You know when the last time I put a CD in something to listen to music? A long ass time ago. <laughs> like It's been like six or seven years since I popped a CD into something intentionally. Right. Um, you know, unless I'm in a car that only has a CD player. Even then I'm like, why am I not just getting an FM tuner here? Like what? Uh, so, you know, it, it, embrace the future. Embrace the technology. It is not that difficult and to... to to hire a company to build you an app that lets you read freaking True. comics. It's not, yeah. you know, it, you, you've got to invest on the back end. You know, you've got to invest with a hosting, uh, you know, agency that really, you know, you want this stuff to be up all the time. It's going to be a lot of data, but ultimately if you adapt to the future, that's where you're going to get your money is giving people wide access to your, your back catalog um, high quality scans, um, and then with anything that's produced nowadays, since it's all produced digitally now, you can just have the latest stuff in there in top quality, PDF quality, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and you just do that. You embrace the future because people have too much stuff and nobody really wants more stuff anymore. People are trying to go the other way. People are trying to you know, condense an entire wall of CDs, an entire library mm -hmm. full of books, mm -hmm. an entire basement full of long boxes into a tablet or into yeah. a laptop 
embrace that roll with it um so th those are my two big points about this whole thing is like dc really needs to catch up you have the best tv shows as far as comic book shows yeah i'm sorry the dc shows are crushing marvel right now agents of shield is a lot of fun and it's interesting but it is nowhere near as just like overarchingly yeah. successful i feel as these other shows are you i mean legends of tomorrow is not a particularly strong show by itself but i think it's still going to get us a, a longer shot than maybe it deserves because they're building what the mcu built in film on television week to week and they've done it so quickly the turnaround has been so fast there's all this interest in these characters now the flash is a relatively boring character on the outside you know until you really get to understand it so like for the average person the flash oh he runs fast who cares you know what i mean this show has shown that like that's not the case you can do a lot of really interesting stuff with this character you know because it opens up all these different possibilities and they've done a great job with that um and i mentioned the flash because it's clearly the best show best kind of <laughs> show on tv right now yeah, arrow is great like don't get me wrong but arrow Arrow has been stuck in the CW trap for a while and yeah. has continued to keep looping back into it. Uh, Flash kind of flirts with the CW trap, you know, the, the getting a little too romancy and all that, but it doesn't live in it like True. Arrow does. Um, as a combined world, though, it's phenomenal. So, you know, come on, DC. You're pro Somebody has taken your properties and shown that you can create a combined world that people are engaged in and interested in. And even if they're, it's not like perfection per se in the execution it's really high quality and it's time that you do the same thing uh get your get your ducks in a row get your shit together and <laughs> adapt to the modern digital age and roll with it you know and there's one other aspect to this that you're you're missing is if you want to create a collector's demand which means you have to make things rare if you push towards digital and the majority of your audience goes digital means you crank down the printings, right? You turn them way down, which reduces your overhead cost and makes them more rare so the demand stays mm -hmm. there. There's still going to be people who want to put their hands on it. There's still going to be people who want to build collections. Mm -hmm. let's, let's, but if you do this digital age, you, God, man, you just use a license to print money because, yeah. you, you, like you said, you just turn it down. It's like now instead of 5,000 copies of batman number one there's 500 and the printing cost on that that kind of significant reduction saves you a ton of money or you can just read it all day long on the app but it nowhere dude i i'm sure somebody does this and i don't know why you would but even on marvel unlimited i had the option of buying the comic and making it mine with quoting fingers i'm like yeah why why, yeah. why, why would i do that i don't, I don't <laughs> okay but i'm sure somebody does Someone's yeah. like, yeah, I just want to, so they can never take it away because there's still that fear of cloud stuff. And and they can't. In the agreement, I'm sure, because I didn't read it, <laughs> nobody reads the end user license agreement, but their smart business in the agreement it says, you're reading our stuff. It's our stuff. We can take it away whenever we want. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they have, but I'm sure they can. So all that being I, said, go ahead. I wonder if DC is looking at the ex the exclusivity point which you're talking about i think right now that they're trying to figure out that balance between digital and print because right now the only way to get it is to buy it by issue or by hardback so you're going to give them money up front to get it because th that's where their exclusive exclusivity sure. lies you cannot get it digitally what they need to understand is now they're losing how m they're losing x amount of money every week 
every month, every year because of piracy that is very real. You don't have, yep. yes, you have people that will put up pirated versions of Marvel comics, but they're not going to get as many polls as the DC list that is not available digitally at all. But yeah. the other, you have to start working. I worry about promoting it too much. Yes, I would like to see a DC digital subscription service, but the second and third level effects that you have to worry about is your local comic shop going the way of Sam Goody. Well, and that yeah. is a very real I possibility. Think I think the reality is okay. So I, if I haven't mentioned it on breaking the panel before, cause I know I mentioned it on FTH, I have run a game store before, which basically when you talk about brick and mortar stores, comic book shops and game stores are pretty much the same thing. You know, they have similar business models. I I've entertained the idea of ta of bringing in comic books into the store that I've run before. The issue is there is a tremendous amount of overhead in a small business like that that yep. it, you you just cannot circumvent you know what i mean like it stocking your shelves with this product is expensive the big thing with comic books and other things like comic books is that if if it's a dud mm -hmm. you're stuck with it, stuck with it you, yeah. you know what i mean like you your shelf space is being taken up by stuff that nobody wants and that's a real problem especially yeah. for small businesses because of that overhead. I mean, it, it's really difficult to generate the kind of profit where you can, you know, continue to stock the items that you need to stock, pay people to work for you, you know, to have a staff and a knowledgeable staff. Cause that's another thing is you expect, you know, the people in your local comic shop to be experts and some, mm -hmm. you know, it's tough to find people like that. Um, and the whole thing is it, it's so competitive. It's so cutthroat and it happens a lot with game stores, like with board games, for example, you know, we're in we're currently in this renaissance of board games where the industry's never been bigger than it is right now. People are buying like regular everyday people are getting into, you know, the uh, the European style board games, getting into the Americana style board games, really digging in like it's it's becoming, you know, it's a new resurgence of taking it seriously. And I'm not talking about Monopoly and Shoots and Ladders. I'm talking about You're like talking about you know, Settlers of Catan. And yeah, exactly. Like yeah. yeah. Some of them are, are really cerebral advanced games. But they're expensive, you know, like most mm -hmm. games, most games start at like 40 bucks, go yeah. up to 50, 60 easily, somewhere as high as 80, 90, 100 dollars. So when you talk about that from the perspective of a brick and mortar store trying to stock even just the most popular ones, they're paying, they're, they generally pay roughly half of what they're charging you. Okay. I'm yeah. going to share that secret with the world. Sure. It's not, it's not that big of a secret, but it's not great margins, but you should have profit margins. Right. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I ideally you want the margins to be higher, but that's that's after distributors get their hands on it right. and then you get your hands in it. OK, so let's just talk about a fifty dollar board game. Let's say there are 10 different titles that I want to stock. I've got to pay twenty five a piece for those. If they sit on my shelf for months, that's a few hundred dollars that are just sitting just sitting there. And it's and it's only depreciating. And the uh, the online competition is so much higher. Right. Yes. Board games can't be pirated. You know, they might be made av available digitally and, you know, there's a uh, uh, tabletop, there's the tabletop simulator and stuff now that some of those games are available in. But for the most part, you can't pirate a board game and pirate the experience. Right. So that's something that people still show up for. Right. Yes. And it's still a struggle. Now we're going to talk about comic books, which are easily replicatable. They're easily scanned in and distributed digitally it, wh wh why is there any incentive for people to stay loyal if you've not made it easy for them you know what i mean if you don't meet the customer 
halfway and say, all right, we're going to provide a service that lets you to legally obtain this stuff digitally and we're going to make it easy on you, they're just going to go pirate it. I mean, most people know how to download stuff for free nowadays. It's not ideal because obviously it really hurts these businesses that rely on that stuff. And as much as I love to support brick and mortar local shops, the reality is there's too many freaking titles out there across every brand. I mean, because we're not just talking about DC. We're talking about DC, Marvel, you know, Image, all of the smaller publishing houses, all the, all the variant published houses, you know, of all of those, you know, the, the smaller um, specialty labels and stuff. There's too much stuff out there for a small brick and mortar to stock. And there's too much stuff out there for big chains like Barnes and Noble to carry as well. Yeah. You go into their right. section, they're only carrying the big titles. I hate to say this as much as, you know, we all love to hold a comic book in our hands. Sometimes those days are largely over. I mean, we're coming to the end of the, the physical media. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, we're seeing it in books too. People still buy books to a certain degree, but uh, you see a big title like a big, you know, bestseller title come out and then you see it on the bargain rack six months later. It's because, you know, people don't keep buying those books like they used to. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like it was 10 years ago where people were still buying books and comic books and all this other stuff, too. Um, the other issue you run into, which hasn't hit the comic book industry so much, but uh, it's definitely hit trading cards, is Chinese counterfeits. Uh, there are a number of. Chinese entities that are printing anything they can print to sell and they're selling it, you know, these are illegal counterfeits and they're selling them, they're shipping them from overseas and they're selling them for pennies on the dollar. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually one of the reasons that I have gotten out of maintaining a high value Magic the Gathering collection because the, the counterfeits that are coming out of China are getting so good that in many cases, unless you're using a jeweler's loop, you can't tell the difference. Okay. If comic books, if they identify comic books as an opportunity, they're going to start doing the same thing there. They haven't really thus far, as far as I know, but it's always a possibility. Anything like that, anything that's collectible and relatively easy to replicate in real life is going to become a target for particularly Chinese counterfeits. There's other countries that produce counterfeits, but a lot of them come out of China. And China doesn't care about our trademark laws and our copyright laws. As a matter of fact, there's probably an underlying opinion that anything that that hurts us economically to a certain degree is good because it's good for them. You know, it inspires more investment in their manufacturing base. Um, So, yeah, that's the reality we live in is that physical stuff Unless it's something like a board game or something you absolutely must have a physical version of to enjoy, people are going to keep moving to digital. I mean, Magic the Gathering is still really popular. Um, It's really successful. It has a number of digital offerings. It has the dual series and it also has uh, Magic the Gathering Online. But Magic the Gathering Online is a travesty. Like the... They underpay the people that work on that project. It always has issues. People hate the interface. It's the worst. But they keep it bad on purpose because they're... In their opinion, they're in the business of printing magic cards and they want to continue to do that. Um, So they don't really want their digital offering to be strong enough to truly rival their physical product. And in the same way, the duels of the Planeswalker series, I mean, the latest one was supposed to be a step in the right direction and it's god awful. (laughs) It's really bad. I played it for a day. Well, look, look, look. I think we we could carry this on for hours, but we're close to our time. Right, uh, but to yeah. address the one issue of the the friends, uh, the the spiritual friends of the show, the mom and pop brick and mortar owners, we love what you do. We love what you're trying to do. We do, absolutely. You're my people. You, uh, yeah. I mean, you are his <laughs> yeah. people. 
I, I enjoy I, I don't get to go in much, but I do enjoy when I drive past a place that says it's such and such comic shop or such and such gaming and you know it's not GameStop and video games, which I have nothing against them. I like video games and GameStop. I'm talking about you know it's a game store and you know it's a comic book store. I do it warms my heart when I see that. But the reality of life is times move forward. But if you're and, and yes, you may lose your, your income and your job of what you're doing now, but you'll find a way to do something better. And on the flip side of that, I visited a friend today who runs a TV repair shop who <laughs> has stacks of VCRs that he's fixing for people. VCRs. My kids have no idea what that is, but he's fixing sure. them for people. And big box TV. So. It's what? cyclical. I think it's cyclical. We're, we're, we're still in that transition mode mode right now where everybody's like i want it digital i want it digital i want it digital but i've been seeing news reports lately of uh specialty polaroid shops coming up and polaroid as a company is having a resurgence because millennials have never held a physical photo in their life and now they have this option to use a, a mother effing polaroid camera and they're just like oh I'm my god Deadpool. this is amazing <laughs> he's bringing and, it back bro i've held and, a and physical it, picture <laughs> i held it real good I but it, it's, it's, it's like this new niche, this new niche thing, and I think it, I I think that it'll come back around, and people will will want those things. But one of the interesting words that you said, Paul, when you were on your soapbox, was distributors with an S, which may be true when you're talking games and game stores, but when you're oh, talking comics, yeah, that's a big problem. With the comics industry is previews and diamond distributors. Yep. It's you got one place to go, one house, and you're gonna pay what they what yep. they say. That's, that's Diamond, a bad place uh, to be. Diamond's gaming. Uh, is it, so Diamond does comic books, and they also have a gaming distributor, but they're all one, you know, one company. Uh, mm. They have the exclusive rights to all of WizKids products. So they have Hero Clicks and Dice Masters, and uh, Attack Wing for Star Trek and D and D. And yep. it is a travesty. It is really bad. Uh, my local shop here, you know, I'm close with the owners. They hate ordering from them because yep. they get screwed all the time. They get sent the wrong stuff. Like they'll order a booster box for Magic the Gathering and they'll get sent a fat pack. The difference between those is like one's a $100 product and the other one's a $40 product. And it's a big deal. Um, now, they usually generally make good eventually. But the whole thing is for their, for their business, they can't be shorted product. You know what I mean? Especially a small business like my local shop here. Uh, so having a monopoly on that is really bad for everybody involved. And that is something that also needs to be fixed because it's not good. It is terrible for comic shops. It's terrible for game shops that are interested in carrying these products. Um, I agree with you completely, Chris. I'm glad you brought that up and people, people should know about it because, uh, it's a real big issue. You know what I mean? (laughs) Issue. One last thing before we go. I know we have all seen that awesome trailer for a Netflix original coming up soon, right? You were very hesitant. That was the softest yes yeah. ever. All right, I'm just sitting back from the phone. You know, I, I of course talking about Pee Wee's Big Holiday. Yeah. Right. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> all right, I gotta say, I know, of course, everybody listening is like, yeah, I saw the Deadpool tra- or not Deadpool uh, Daredevil trailer. like, I saw that too. It was amazing. But that's off to the side. Pee Wee's Big Holiday. I'm like, what? And I yeah. grew up with Pee Wee's Playhouse, man. I, I I love Paul Rubens. I've loved everything he's done except the news stories about being in the porn theater. And what you do in your own business is fine. Don't arrest him. He's an American icon. Come on, man. But that being aside, this looks 
Netflix has made an original Pee Wee's Playhouse movie with him called Pee Wee's Big Holiday. It looks amazing, and I'm very happy about it. That's all I'm going to say. The Pee Wee's Big Adventure probably traumatized me as a child. It was weird, and they're they're yeah. totally discount. They're totally throwing that out. It's not part of the part of the Pee Wee canon, if you will. <laughs> Are we getting Lawrence Fishburne back? Uh, he didn't show up in the trailer. They've got the the guy who played the the awesome werewolf on True Blood. He's in it. Um, Joe Mangan. There you go. So no, I didn't see any of the old characters. It's it's just Pee Wee growing up in this, or being in this tiny town and going off on a holiday and and similar to Pee Wee's Big Adventure without the crazy weird wacky. I mean, I'm talking about not Pee Wee wacky, but like what the hell is that doing in the movie wacky? Yeah, and um, spoiler stuff. Spoiler. He got his driver's license, and I'm not okay with that. <laughs> that is true. He did get his license. So, uh, of course, Daredevil, Daredevil season two coming up in March. They, what do you think? Real quick, before we get out of here, what do you think about the idea of they're splitting up trailers? It's Daredevil season two trailer part one, and at the end of that trailer, it tells you part two of the trailer comes uh, in the at, in a few days. To right me, it's no month. different for the trailer. Yeah, I like it. It 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 builds anticipation. I'm good with it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really affect me any which way. A lot of times when these trailers first hit, I don't watch them immediately. Anyways, I usually let them ruminate for a little while, and then get back to them. Um, because I'm a literatist, (laughs) and uh, a a literaturist. Um, whatever, whatever other nonsense word we can make up here in the moment, but yeah, no. So uh, yeah, I'm fine with it. I mean, it's, I'm excited to see it come back. I'm excited to see what direction we go in. I'm excited to see, um, that guy, uh, from walking dead yeah. as Punisher. Punisher. I can't remember his name right now. I normally John, know it. John something. Not so, Rick. <laughs> no, I I'm not saying. Yeah. And I'm blanking well, on his name right now. It's, too. John, it's John something. I believe John Bernthal. There yeah. you go. Bernthal. Bernthal. There you go. Yeah. So, so yeah. Dude, okay, it's it's a great line in the in the thing, um, in the in the preview. Uh, presumably, after he he's either having a there's obviously in the the previews, there's a lot of interaction between him and Daredevil, uh, different oh. levels of it. And this is obviously after one of the interactions, he goes, "Admit it, you're one bad day away from being me." Like yeah. that was a phenomenal line. Thank you for putting that in the trailer. It was. I love the Punisher. I, I I really love the idea of his character. He's just so traumatized and so damaged. He's just unifocal on how to fix that damage, and and with a, in my opinion, a justifiable reason why to fix that damage. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's and it's going to be intense. They're bringing back Night Nurse, although they haven't called her that yet. I'm with DC on screen that that's who she is. Yeah. Uh, lots of great stuff for season two, and I I don't. I, I'm going to have to make a lot of money between now and March so I can send my family off on vacation and I can just watch 13 hours straight <laughs> of Daredevil when it drops. So I'm not sure I'm going to pull that off, but I will work on it. Hey, you know what? That's how you pull it off. Go to patreon.com forward slash breaking the panel. Donate to us watching Daredevil. That's how you do it. <laughs> All right. That's a disgusting, gratuitous plug, by the way. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm offended and I benefit from it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Side note, uh, right now to date, I looked it up today. Deadpool has made two hundred sixty million to date. So it deserves it. And we're we're not even to the weekend, not even to the official weekend two 
yet uh, when we're recording this. You know what would be amazing if is if Deadpool outsells Batman versus Superman. Yeah, that would be incredible. That would be <laughs> some major dumping on DC, though. I, I would feel a little bad. Oh yeah, yeah. Our rated yeah. R uh, movie that we that we literally uh, developed and put out in a year. Deadpool two announced for twenty seventeen. Yep. So yeah, yeah that's going to be. Year. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, th- th- before we close out here, big props to the Deadpool team because they put that movie together in like a year. Yep. Like. Yep. I mean, and they filmed most of it back in uh, March and April, I believe. So, like, it's just – it was a really crazy turnaround from that trailer leaking to it getting greenlit to it getting written and done. And, like, awesome job. You know, props. Absolutely. All right. Well, if you love what you hear, you can find more of it over at GiantSizeTeamUp.com. That's got uh, all the different shows. I won't list them out. Just go – Trust us, go there. It's like eight to 12 shows, uh, different people doing different shows. It's amazing stuff over there. Of course, we're on giantsizeteamup.com forward slash breaking the panel. We're on Blog Talk Radio's breaking the panel. We have an email that I still have failed to write down in the notes so that you cannot reach us. So pfft, suck it. We're not going to take your <laughs> emails this week anyway. And you know what? Just a bunch of cool stuff. Subscribe through iTunes. Always share this. Tell the world about us. We got some funny stuff going on. Next, the next episode is actually a giant size team up extravaganza with the three of us and Brian Ibbett. I know uh, Jeff from MCU Cast is signed on. I think Jason Goss from DC on screen. Travis from the Blazing Defender Report is going to be on. We might try to get Kingfisher. We're going to have a whole crowd in talking about Deadpool and spoiling the ever loving crap out of it. Deadpool loser. That's the title we're going with, right? <laughs> you you skyped out a little Deadpool what? Deadpool loser, right? Deadpool loser. <laughs> yeah, we can go with that. Sure. So, might as well go with two avocados banging. Let's go with that title. <laughs> <So. Yeah. laughs> Alright, till next time. Put some more of the giant size team up in your ears and on your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>